Hey everyone, you're listening to the MLEPC podcast. Thank you for joining us. The podcast features every previous Sunday's sermon and plenty of other cool content like interviews and mini-series. Please remember to share our content and subscribe to our channel so you can stay up to date with everything that we create. You can find out more about what's happening at the church by visiting our website at mlepc.org or checking us out on our social media. Once again, we thank you for tuning in to the Emily PC podcast, and we hope to see you at an event soon. It is good to be with you all this morning. It is such a joy. I, my southern heart is very happy to have North Carolina weather this past week, so thank you for enduring that with me. Um, <laughs> this was I, I, I'm a weather nerd, and I was following the uh, National Weather Service thing, and it said that this was the first full, full week of sunshine we've had since November. <laughs> So enjoy that. Um, We are grateful to have great weather for the picnic as well. Let me pray for us as we get started. Holy God, we do thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are God of creation, that you have parted the Red Seas and you've parted the clouds for us to celebrate the mission team to Kenya today. We pray that you would remind us that even when clouds are in place, that your sunshine is always present even when we can't see it. Lord, we pray that you would be with us now, that you would open our hearts, minds, souls, and spirits to your word, that you would pour out your Holy Spirit so that we could be awake to your word this morning. Help us to not only be hearers, but doers also. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, as Cinda mentioned earlier, we are in the middle of our sermon series on the seven churches of Revelation, and we are looking at at each one of the churches and thinking and asking ourselves not only what was going on with them, but then holding a mirror up and saying, what is going on with us, and how can we learn from this situation? How can we grow in, in, in relationship with the Lord and love for one another as well? So today we are doing the, the church of Smyrna. Smyrna was the next church after Ephesus on the, on the mail route around uh, the, the, what is now the western part of Turkey. And uh, so it, God rebukes, Jesus rebukes Ephesus for one thing. They've been very faithful in all kinds of different things, but they have lost their first love. When they get to Smyrna, There is no criticism. It's one of two churches that don't get criticized for anything, but God still has a hard word for them, and the word is suffering. As we all know, we live in a broken world, and there is suffering in all kinds of different ways, but in the midst of that suffering, there is promise, and there's hope. And that's what we want to look at today. I'm going to start with a short psalm that I have prayed through when I am going through a really hard time. And one of the lament psalms, it's very short, but it's one worth meditating on when you are struggling. This is Psalm 13, 1 through 6. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But, but 
I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. And now turning over to the letter of Smyrna, to Smyrna, this is Revelation 2, verses 8 to 11. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, these are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. But be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So imagine that scene. If you are a struggling, impoverished, persecuted church, and you get a copy of this letter, this letter that is, is written not just to the, the area, not just to general Christians, but is written to you. Imagine that scene, Chuck Swindoll describes the scene and imagines the, the people gathered in a house and they unroll the scroll and they see that letter to themselves. And Jesus says to them, his word for them is, I know your afflictions. I know your poverty. I know what you're struggling through. What an incredible encouragement to hear from the Lord, I see you. I know what you're going through. And in that moment, the encouragement that they must have had to know that they are not alone, they are not forgotten, they are not cast off, but God is saying, I know you and I see you in the midst of that. As we look through this letter, we're going to see different ways that they struggled and faced persecution and stood up to it. And then I also want us to think about what it means for us to stand up in front of suffering and give you a story of someone that I really admire who went through some of the worst suffering of anyone I have ever met. Um, and God was faithful through the whole thing. So when you look at the context uh, of Smyrna, if you've seen the video or you'll be watching it shortly, I really have enjoyed the Right Now Media videos because it shows you what it looked like in the middle, uh, you know, wh where they were, what their context was, what it was like for this community. Smyrna is the only city left that was in of these original seven. It's the only one that has survived. It's now the modern city of Izmir. And the, the ancient part of Smyrna is, is in the middle of the city with the rest of the city all around it. This, is, this was a very important city at the time. They had made a deal early on with the, Ro the Romans, and so they were in favor with the Roman Empire. They were the first city in the area to be allowed to build a temple to Tiberius. Tiberius was the Roman Caesar who was in charge when Jesus was arrested and killed um, and raised from the dead. The interesting thing about the city is that it was a resurrected city. About 600 BC, it had been wiped off the map by an invading king. And then 300 years later, it was rebuilt. 
So they, they had a, a thing about them that was, that was, we were dead and we are now alive again. And you're going to see how that plays in to the rest of this message. Um, they, were, they were renowned, and their coins would brag about who they were, and that one of the coins they found said, first in Asia, in beauty and size. What a brag. <laughs> we are first in beauty and size. They had about 200,000 people in the area with a very large uh, Jewish population. They, uh, one, of the, one thing I did, it had never occurred to me until I watched the video, but then read more about this, the, the name Smyrna is based on myrrh, as in frankincense and myrrh. Myrrh was an embalming spice uh, perfume that, that was used um, by the Egyptians and by everyone in that area. And Smyrna was the heart of the, of the market for, for myrrh. They were the ones known for that. So here was this resurrected city brought from death into life, and their chief export was a, a, an embalming spice for death. So there are interesting images about this that are even present at the time and so ready to hear the gospel message about life and death. So how is Jesus described? You remember every single one of these letters opens with a description of Jesus and is always tying in to something about Jesus from chapter one, but it's a, it's a specific characteristic of Jesus that we see. This city, which was the first of Asia and it's been the last one to survive, how is Jesus described as the first and the last? It's not Smyrna that is the first and the last, it is Jesus Christ. And he is the one who was dead, who died and came to life again. So even as Smyrna had died and came to life again, Jesus is infinitely more powerful than that. And in Revelation 1, um, it says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet, though dead, and he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forevermore and I hold the keys to death and Hades. This amazing image that it, like the people can talk about death and life, but Jesus is saying, I hold the keys. I'm the one who's in charge of that. I know everything. And so this is the assurance to these people, even as they're facing life and death situations, Jesus is saying, I hold the keys. Nobody can control that except myself. There's this emphasis on that power over life and death and that the emphasis too on Jesus' deity and his humanity, that Jesus himself suffered and died because of, of, of who he was and therefore he understands what Christians are going through. So here's this group huddled in this dark room reading this passage and being reassured that Jesus Christ has the keys of life and death. And then he says, I know, I know your afflictions and your poverty. One of the things that you can watch in all seven of these letters is I know, what does God know about this church? And what they know about Smyrna, I know your afflictions and your poverty. One of the reasons why they had such material poverty was because they were being persecuted. Christians were not allowed to mingle in the rest of society the same way that people who had sworn allegiance to the, the Roman Caesar were allowed to do. They declared Jesus is Lord, where the Romans were supposed to say Caesar is Lord. 
And the Jews in the community had made that, that same, they had made kind of a deal with, with Caesar. They would say Caesar is Lord, and that allowed them to do what they wanted to do. But anybody who would not say Caesar is Lord was not allowed in the trade unions. They weren't allowed um, in the, to, to sell their wares in the, in the Agora. There were all kinds of different ways that they were restricted. I, I heard that the men's Bible study group um, last Sunday morning, was they were talking about that kind of ex economic exclusion. And several people in the group who were not from the United States knew what that was like. You have to be willing to pay bribes. And Christians are saying, I can't pay a bribe. And there are all these different things that you have to be able to do to be part of the economy. But because of their faith in Smyrna, they weren't able to do that. And that kind of persecution is even going on today. What is it that we aren't allowed to do? And it's, there are moments in the, in the U.S. that are the same thing. So they're, they're being excluded from this. But yet... We think that Jesus specifically says, but you are rich. In what ways are they rich? It's interesting to think about that kind of poverty. I, you know, I've seen a lot of poverty around the world. The Kenya team is going over to Kenya now. And the last time I went, they had these posters for the teenagers to invite them to the youth conference. You know, when you go to a conference, you usually have a list of everything that you need to bring. Theirs had three things a bowl, a spoon, and a blanket. Can you imagine going to a, a you know, five-day-long conference with those three things only, a bowl, a spoon, and a blanket? And yet, they were so rich. I wish you could experience the worship that, that they have in this place, the joy, the, the, the just jubilation in the midst of, of, of deep poverty. But God is at work. God is doing something amazing. Just being around the children who are worshiping is my favorite thing. They're just radiating the joy of the Lord. When I was working for World Vision, it's a very long time ago. It's hard to believe it was that long. It was in the 90s. Um, I, I, I was all over civil war zones in Africa and then in the Middle East and Eastern Europe. Um, and and I, was, I was really struggling. God, what are you calling me to do? Because I, I just didn't feel settled like this was what I was supposed to do. And I saw all of this physical poverty around the world, but every time I came back to the States, I sensed spiritual poverty. And, and it would happen over and over again. And suddenly I realized that God was putting a burden on my heart. And it's funny, most people like are called to Africa from the US. I was in Africa and was called to the States. That that, that that spiritual poverty was what God wanted me to serve. How can we help make American Christians rich in faith, not in material goods. You know how spiritually poor people in affluent Mount Lebanon can be. It can be a place of deep loneliness, of emptiness, of strife and conflict and, and wearing yourselves out trying to struggle to do all of the things that need to be done. We may be materially rich, but we can be spiritually poor. So, so this, this letter is saying, you are poor, but you are rich. You are rich in spirit. One of the things that they were facing was slander. It says, um, <clears throat> I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews, but are not, and are of the synagogue of Satan. So again, the Jews had sort of made a deal with the Romans, 
and, and they were willing to, to, to do whatever it took to stay sort of at peace with them, to placate them. But then these Christians come along who are Jews, uh, but, but witnessing to the Gentiles, and they're starting to make a mess with things. They're starting to say, Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. And they're, they're causing controversy. So the, the, the Jews in this community um, started excluding them from worship, and not only that, but, but saying awful things about them. Like, you know, they were the body and blood of Christ. That meant that they were cannibals. Um, they, they called each other brothers and sisters. So that, that meant that, like, they, they didn't value the, the family unit. They valued this weird kind of communal thing. And they started saying awful that lies about them. And, and again, we need to be very careful, especially in light of what happened yesterday in Buffalo. We need to be very careful not to take verses like this as a justification for anti-Semitism. I will say that again. Do not use a verse like this for anti-Semitism. What it is calling out is Jews who are not behaving like Jews, who are not loving the Lord and loving their neighbor. It's calling out the, the empty institutional power of religion that doesn't have faith in God. Paul was a Jew. Peter was a Jew. Jesus was a Jew. Many, many, many of the people in this community in Smyrna were Jewish. But it was those who had, had given up their relationship with God in order to protect their relationship with Rome. They were the ones that are being called out in this verse. So here they are, they have no material means, they have, uh, they're, they're now facing persecution and they're now facing even death. And what does God say? Does he say, okay, but it's over now and everything's gonna be all better? No. <laughs> he says, do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I, I, if I had heard that, I would have been like, you know, haven't we suffered enough? Isn't this enough for you? But Jesus is saying, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Stay faithful. Stay true. Um, he, he's saying that I will be with you even to the point of death. Uh, and it says, some of you may be sent into prison for 10 days. For 10 days. What does 10 days mean? You know that a lot of the numbers in Revelation have symbolic meaning. And there's a little bit of a dispute about exactly what 10 days means. Some people think it means a short time. Others say that it's an exact time. 10 days, it means you will, be, you will suffer for exactly the amount of time that I have allotted and not more than that. I control the amount of time that you will have to endure. So God is saying, even though you may be thrown in prison, I know the time and I will be with you in the middle of that. I know what you're experiencing. And the promise, the promise that comes from that um, is that God will be faithful, that he will give a victor's crown to those who endure. In the video, Joseph Stoll talks about the first bishop of Smyrna. His name is Polycarp. He was a disciple of John, and he was an old man when it came time for them to arrest him. He was 86 years old and had been faithful to the Lord all of his life. And he knew that he was about to get captured. God had shown him that in a dream. And they came to him and they, they said, why don't you just renounce your faith and you can live? You know, you're an old man, just get it over with and, and let go of your faith. And, and this was the quote, um, 86 years I have served the Lord and he never did me wrong. 
86 years I have served the Lord and he has never done me wrong. He was faithful to the end. And, and it, it, he did die a martyr's death, burned at the stake. Um, but all of these people saw the courage that he had. They said, we're going to throw you to the lions. And he's like, okay. And they're like, well, 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 well we're going to, you know, burn you at the stake. And he's like, okay. Well, we're going to nail you to the stake. Well, you know, I'm, I'm not going to try to get out of here, so you can just tie it. He was courageous to the very end. And all of these people heard about the faith of this incredible 86-year-old man. And more people came to know the Lord. And what he says is that be faithful even to the point of death. This is verse 10. And I will give you your life as a victor's crown. Even to the point of death. Be faithful even to the point of death. And you will get the victor's crown. The crown is not like a royal crown. It's like one who's won the Olympics. It is, it is the crown of, of victory of having faithfully run the race. And you will be honored by that. Is that he's saying, if you keep running, if you keep your eyes on, on me, then I will give you that victor's crown. And, and it says, it's interesting that the very last thing, there's always a promise at the very end of the letter. And it says, the one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. There's actually a double negative in there. And in Greek, when you have a double negative, it's, it means like never, 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 ever. You will never, ever face death again. What it's saying is that the second death is referring to hell. You will never, ever, ever have to worry about that. You will always live with Christ forever and ever if you're faithful to the end. I will be with you. You have to know that even though this life may have troubles, as Jesus said in, in in the Gospel of John, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world, and you will be with the overcoming Christ. As we look at this letter, we think about what does this mean for us now? What does it mean for us to, to go through suffering? I mean, the entire world has been suffering with a pandemic over the last two years, and it just keeps going. How long, oh Lord, we cry out. How do we face that? But it's not just that kind of suffering. We need to also think about the severe persecution that's going on around the world. The, the most recent Open Doors uh, statement about how many, uh, the worst of the countries that are persecuting Christians include Afghanistan, North Korea, Somalia, Libya, Yemen, Eritrea, Nigeria, Pakistan, Iran, and India. China is, you know, China is really awful to, to Christians, but they're 17th on the list. There are 16 other countries that are worse than China. We can be interceding for these people and praying for them and, and knowing that, that God is with them. We can have confidence that God is with them even in the midst of the struggling. I've never had to face that kind of persecution. I've, I've had some really rough situations um, in, in crazy places in Africa, but one of the hardest moments I ever had, ever had, when, before I was going into one particular war zone where one of the things they liked to do was capture Westerners. I had to sign a, a release form that said that I would not expect World Vision to pay for my ransom. That is a weird feeling to say, okay, God, over to you. I trust you. Thankfully, I did not have to use that letter, but I had had to sign it. And that is a giving your life over in that moment. When the EPC 
missionaries are commissioned at our General Assembly every year. They go through a set of vows, and there is one vow that whacks me upside the head every single time I hear it. Will you accept the potential dangers associated with this ministry that may include suffering and martyrdom? How would you answer that question? Would you accept the potential dangers even if they include potentially suffering and martyrdom? How do you answer that? Yes, with the Lord's help. <laughs> but wow, what an incredible moment that people, the courage that people have who are going overseas and facing this stuff have. One of the most amazing stories, I've shared with you some of, of his story. His name is Andrew Brunson. He's a pastor, an EPC pastor who was a missionary in Turkey for 20 some years and then was arrested on false charges in 2016, October of 2016. I have a whole book about him if you'd ever, I have one copy if anybody wants to borrow it. Um, but it's a fascinating story. This man who had been, he was a registered missionary, he wasn't trying to covertly be a missionary. He had been faithful, he knew the Turkish language intimately. He had try, been trying to do what he could to serve the poor. And they arrested him and trumped up charges uh, of terrorism. The, his time in prison was horrendous. It was absolutely horrendous. And it wasn't just hard because of the living conditions. He was put in a cell with 20 other men who hated him because he was Christian. And they, they got to the point where they wouldn't even uh, share a meal with him, that they were persecuting him. They didn't want him to even move out of his bunk. Or do anything. And, and it was just this dark, dark time for him. He went through a deep time of depression and was even suicidal at one point. He was struggling. And he was angry at God because God had, had been with all of, you know, Paul and Silas. They got to sing in prison. All of these people that, that had, had met God in prison, and yet he felt like God was completely silent. Where are you, God, and why have you abandoned me? Psalm 13, how long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? And at one of the darkest places, he finally said, realized, I cannot fight for my freedom, but I can fight for my faith. And I want to read you a little bit about what he had read. He said, if I do not survive spiritually, I know that I will lose everything. I had spent so many hours pacing in the courtyard or lying in my bunk, accusing God, confused and often angry and offended at him. But now I made a solemn decision and announced it to God almost in defiance. Whatever you do or do not do, I will follow you. This became the basis of my declaration and I added to it, if you do not speak to me, I will follow you. If you do not let me sense your presence, I will follow you. If you do not show your gentleness or kindness, I will follow you. If you allow me to be deceived, I will follow you. If you leave me in prison, I will follow you. I will look to Jesus, not away from him. I will run to Jesus, or if necessary, crawl to Jesus. In October of 2018, he came to one more of his trials. He had many, many, many. Lots of false witnesses, witnesses that would actually contradict each other. Some of the witnesses were people who had been in his own church and were testifying against him. The slander, 
that the, that the people of, of Smyrna had known. And this is in the city of Izmir, modern Smyrna, that he is in prison. And in October 2018, he knew that he was the, finally facing charges that would leave him in prison for 15 years. He's my age. That would put him in his 60s when he finally got out. He would miss his children growing up and getting married and having grandkids. And he was weeping and broken. And he gets to this trial. And they, they do all of these, uh, you know, more witnesses. And they, they finally say, you know, this is the conclusion. Do you have anything else to say for yourself? And he stood up and he said, I am innocent. I love Jesus. And I love Turkey. And he sat back down. And they found him guilty. And all he could hear in his head was the, just despair. God, how long are you going to abandon me forever? And he just, it was like his brain just shut down. He was just overwhelmed by that guilty verdict. And his defense attorney shook him on the shoulder and said, did you hear what they just said? And he's like, guilty? What else do I need to hear? And he said, no, they changed the sentence of 15 years to the time you have served. You just have to leave the country. Can you imagine that breakdown that he realized that he was free? He finally made it. It's an incredible story. He, they, the U.S. government had been working hard to free him. Uh, they sent a plane as soon as that verdict was reached. They sent a plane from Germany to Turkey to pick him up. And he and his wife were able to fly first to Germany and then to the U.S. And landed in Andrews Air Force Base. And less than 24 hours after that verdict, he was in the White House speaking to the president. He was able to speak at our General Assembly at, uh, with the EPC the following summer, and I got to hear him and talk to him. And he said all along, he kept saying, Lord, you've heard me say this before, I trust you to protect me unless not protecting me will bring you more glory. And he held on to that promise even in those dark days. But he said this remarkable thing at the end of his book as he's reflecting on this time. He said, I am glad to have escaped the valley of the wolves, yet there is something I miss from that terrible ordeal, something he misses. It made me cling to God as never before. It also brought a rare clarity with, see with seeking God, drawing close to him. Now I am free and so grateful for my freedom, but I miss being so completely dependent on God. And I want to recapture the desperate seeking that I had then. Sometimes suffering is a gift from the Lord because we need to draw closer to him. Sometimes suffering is the only way to do it. And sometimes when God is the most silent, we have to declare whatever you do, God, or don't do, I will follow you. Even if you're silent, I will follow you. I'll leave you with this verse from a song that Andrew wrote when he was in prison in September 2017. I remember praying and praying and praying that God would give him music, would give him a song like he gave Paul and Silas. And the song that God gave to Andrew was called, You Are Worthy of My All. And this is one verse from it. You are worthy, worthy of my all, but my heart faints, drowned in sorrow, overwhelmed. Make me like you, cross-bearer. 
persevering, faithful to the end, to stand trial and receive the crown of life. What can I give to the Son of God who gave himself for me? Here I am. You are worthy of my all. Hi, this is Pastor Carolyn. Thanks so much for joining us today. If you'd like to find out more about our church, you can check out our website at mlepc.org. And be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a podcast. Have a blessed day.